I'm Sonia Morton Firth, and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today, my guest is Tony Marjota. From a long career in the military to supporting Boris Johnson and Sadiq Khan, to mentoring startups in one of London's largest fintech communities, watch this interview as we explore how having discipline in life leads to freedom and how we should be helping veterans to transition into Civvy Street. Tony, Hello. welcome to my home. Oh, and it's beautiful. Thank you Thank for introducing you. me. Thank you. Well, look, we've been trying to get this going for a couple of years now. I was thinking about when I last met you, but I'm so glad you're here, Tony. And I'm dying to delve into your life because you certainly have led a life less ordinary. Um, but before we get into today, can you tell my audience who you are and what you do now. Of course. Um, so, Tony Margiotta, what what's my background been? I joined the military in, I'm an old man, uh, 1978. Just on that, Go on. you do not, I couldn't believe That's, it. Well, they're going to work it out now. I couldn't on. believe it when you told me your age. Can you... 61, yeah, I turned 61 in December. I'm a Saggy. Well, yes. you look amazing, and we're going to get into how you look so amazing as well. But I'll later stand by on. for some secrets, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, I joined the military in 78. I went down to the careers office in Campbellwell in South London, where I was born. In fact, I was born around Kennington area. And I remember signing up, and the guy that was sat there in the recruitment office, and I've heard this from some of the other people you've interviewed, happened to be in the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, and they wear a red and white hackle. And he said, you know, I reckon you'll be a good Fusilier. You should join us if you get through the, the entry test, which I did. And I joined the Fusiliers, which was an amazing journey. I spent some 23 years within the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, um, going up the rank system. I think I came down a few times as well. I lost, lost my stripes a few times, as one does. But I ended up as a company sergeant major, and I left, I think it was in 2000. So I've been out now, sort of. 20 years, but what was the most interesting part was the fact that in the last five years, I ended up going down to Limston with the Royal Marines. I had to do my Green Beret course, and I became a senior instructor down at Limston on their senior command team, which was amazing. And it just opened my eyes to other stuff. So what are you doing now? Right, I, I often get this. So I, I left in 2020. 2020. Yeah, or, sorry, 2000. 2000. So it's 21 years-ish. I've been out and I've done so much. I think day one when I left, I had a big lump sum in, well, some people said not that much, but it was enough for me, a lump sum of money in the bank. I had some savings and I thought, Civvy Street, what next? Rucksack on and I went traveling for uh, 18 months, Vancouver, the States and various other places. And then I was asked, would I consider staying in Santa Monica and helping a buddy out with his exotic furniture business? called Carducci, all mother of pearl, deep sea shell, very Versace looking. Mm. I ended up staying three and a half years, nearly four years in Santa Monica. Great three years there, met some amazing people, started to do some non-profit stuff. Um, what did I do then? Left there, went to live in Vancouver where my best buddy is, um, spent a year and a half in Vancouver, lots of skiing. And then I was drawn back to London town, which is my favorite city, it's my home and ended up doing, again, some non-profits, and then ended up working with LOCOG, the Olympics, in preparation for 212. And then it went on from there. And now you're working for one of London's largest ecosystems, FinTechs. I know, how bizarre. Tell me a little more about that. 
So I think it was about eight or nine years ago, I met this girl in a pub in Clapham. As you do. As you do on a New Year's Eve. Let's give a call out for Clapham because I lived in Clapham 20 years, great place. It's it's very young now, but it is a great place. You can do everything you want in one high street if you like. But I was in my local pub called The Railway near Clapham North. And there was this girl in the background. I was with all my mates. It was New Year's Eve. And we are just having a quick beer before we all went off to our girlfriends or our families. And I saw this girl and I thought, I know that girl from somewhere, but I couldn't really picture her. So I sort of waved at her and said, Happy New Year. And she went, oh, hello, love. Happy New Year. I said, come and meet the lads. She came over, had a chat. It was Michelle Dubry. She does a lot of stuff on TV. Yes, and, uh, one yes. of the apprentice. Yeah. And she said, oh, my God, you need to meet one of my mates who's an, a serial entrepreneur who's thinking about starting something called co-working. And I thought, I have no idea what that is. And I ended up meeting this guy. And then that was the start of my journey in setting up co-working spaces. This is before the WeWorks and stuff. And it became very successful. And one day, Barclays approached me. Two guys, suited and booted, walked into my co-working space and a small group of us and said, hey, we're Barclays, we're a big global bank, but we don't talk the startup talk but we want to, and we know that you guys have got your foot in the ecosystem. So we created Rise, which is now hugely successful. We're in, uh, we've got a club in New York. My club is in Shoreditch, which I run with my team, alongside, of course, Barclays. And it's seven floors, and there's 40, about 41 companies there now. Some cracking fintech companies. And of course, London is the number one city in the world for fintech. Love it. Tony, wow, what a life. So from years in the military to traveling around the States, Canada, um, to now running one of the biggest ecosystems in London, FinTech, it's absolutely amazing. What have you learned about yourself along that journey? What a great question. Um, I know that people can change, you can change as an individual once you start to understand a little bit more about life. Because I'll be really honest, when I left in 2000, you know, as a company sergeant major, stepped out of those gates of the military, the all-encompassing mother-in-arms of the military to the big wide world, I thought, what's going to be next for me? And I was a bit arrogant then, and I thought, check me out, you know, I'm an ex-sergeant major, I love my skin, I love my sports, I'm into training, I've been around the world, I've been in conflicts, and now it's Civvy Street. So I was a bit of a handful, I would suggest, when I first got out. But during that journey up until the present day, the biggest thing that's, that's molded me and changed me somewhat to where I am now is meeting a variety of different people, is understanding how the mind works, which has been a recent five-year sort of project of mine, and throughout that stage also keeping fit and healthy. That's the biggest thing that I've learned to, I had to maintain to enable me to be where I am now. I love that. I just want to go back and touch on that. You said over the last five years, you've been working a lot on, on the mind and, and fitness. What has, has been your biggest challenge over the past sort of, well, over your life and how, how did you cope with it? I think in the early days, it was a case of, do I fit in? You know, I've always wanted to be part of the gang and not that I wasn't. At school, I was always like the guy to pick for the football team because I was a bit of a bit of a maverick in the midfield because I love football. Um, when I joined the army, I was always shorter than everyone else. No one called me by my right name. They always called me because my surname is Margiotta, or actually Maggiotta in Italian, but everyone called me Maggie. 
because they call me that as well. So I love it. So I've been called Maggie throughout my career, and I was there amongst Geordies, Jocks, you name it. But I wanted to fit in, and I think I overdone it in the early days. Now I wanted always talking, always had to be the man in the middle, and it didn't always work well for me. So it was, I think it was a case of adapting, especially when I left at forty in two thousand. I left and thought, you know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a handful. And people were telling me, you know, you just need to calm down. It isn't as rushed as you think, like. And I started to develop different techniques by listening to people, whether it's podcasts, friends who I looked up to. Then I realised there's a whole new ball game out there when it comes to how one adapts themselves to life. And you, you, you pride yourself on your fitness and you did touch on that and the mental aspect of <clears> that. What have you, in, in terms of your life and where you put fitness and say your mental health, how has that helped you get? to where you've got to today? It's my number one priority and it always will be, I think. You know, we all talk about routines. We all talk about, you know, do you have an early morning routine or do you have any routines? Well, what is your routine? Oh, cool. I like it. I mean, it's not different from a lot of people we've had on this show, I think, but I'm a 5am starter. I get up at five o'clock and now it's becoming ingrained in my uh, psyche, if you like. So I naturally wake up. I don't need What time lunch. do you have to go to bed? Nine o'clock. Yeah. Okay. 2100 hours on the nose and so my girlfriend is often sat with me you know on the sofa and we're watching something on netflix or whatever and she'll say oh nearly nine o'clock yeah. and i'll say yeah i've got to go to bed love <laughs> so she's like trying to work out okay well when are we going to get a little bit into me yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have to we, balance we, we it we fit it in between <laughs> nine and five past <laughs> well that's me yeah yeah especially at 61 right um so yeah so five o'clock i get up and it really is a routine walk out the door dressing gown wrap it up get my Nespresso on, so coffee straight away, and I've got this big sort of picture in my bedroom that says, first I drink coffee, then I do stuff. So I have my coffee, headset goes on, sit down, put on my meditation app, and it's 10 minutes. And it has to be a particular type of meditation app. So it's a guy called Sam Harris. He runs yeah. a thing called the Waking Up or the Wake Up app. It's just brilliant. I've heard a lot about Sam He's Harris. Neuroscientist, yes. atheist, just the, the man. Um, and bear in mind, I used to be with Calm, because I know the owner of Calm, and they're a billion-dollar company, right? But Sam is slightly different. Ten minutes of him, and then I exercise is my next priority. But I have to get on my bike. I have to ride from Clapham to Shoreditch. It's only about I don't know, six miles, if that. Change into my gym gear when I get off my bike, and then I go and do F45, which I love. Yes. Oh, you know F45, right? Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. I'm, I'm a bit of a bodybuilder myself, but I, I have heard of F45. So do a bit of that, and then have a shower, and then I bounce into work, and I don't know how they can handle me, because they say, oh my, here he is, he's arrived. So that's my, my kind of routine in the mornings. Nutrition, I've become a vegetarian about um, four years ago. Bordering on veganism, I think I might be a vegan shortly, but Gosh. and it works for me. I tell you, yeah. It's, well, it's whatever works. That's yeah. what I tell people. As long as you're getting all your nutrients and your proteins in, there you yeah, are. Yeah, uh, well, you can it. short. And I was talking to my friend the other day. There's a. Have you heard of Athletic Greens? Yes, yes. I have. So I get a scoop of them in the morning as well as yes, part of my yeah. morning routine. So yeah. I cover all bases. Well, that's my kind of my routines in the morning, and that really sets me up for the day. And so my favourite sort of tagline, if you like, is discipline equals freedom. Now, I saw that and I was dying to ask you, what does that really mean, discipline equals freedom? Because I think it's a great quote. Yeah, but I mean, if you come from an ex-military background, naturally people or your viewers now will think, yeah, it's ex-military, it's all about that kind of discipline. Well, it's not. It's just about being generally disciplined in the way I approach life. Mm -hmm. So my morning routine, 
going through that religiously, focusing on what I eat to make sure I'm getting that, focus on all my nutrients, focuses on taking that scoop of athletic greens, then having time out for my girlfriend, then having time out for my mother and my sister, then having time out for my friends, then making sure I have some time off. All of that, if you stitch that all together, and it takes some time to keep it organized, that's discipline. And for me, that allows me to do lots of stuff that probably I wouldn't do if I didn't have that discipline. I'd be too much rushed. Got to achieve this, got to do that, got to have goals, got to have a New Year's resolution. So that, in my view. I just want to crack on with my discipline, the way I approach stuff, and it just, it, it creates much more freedom for me. I, I can absolutely, completely agree, and I resonate a lot with that, especially when you talked about goals, especially at this time of the mm. year. We're at the, we are, for anyone's watching this, we are in January still, and... I, I got to the point where I was struggling this year with writing my goals down like I usually do. And I think it was part of it. We're coming out of a strange time. We're, we're two years out of lockdown. And I thought, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to, to look at what I've achieved. So I thought, right, I'm just going to put pen down, paper down. And I went away for a week. I changed my environment. Where did you go? I went down to the south coast. I went into the cold sea, which is freezing. I walked along... The South Downs, beautiful, beautiful. And beautiful I was, place. I was just present, Tony. And that's when things really come to you. With your thoughts, so, with your thoughts. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I, I completely agree. Sometimes, you know, forcing writing goals down, like you say, is, can be a bit of a load of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> it works and letting, for some people. And, and letting it flow naturally. That's it. Can, can, can it's do. the flow that's yeah. important and, and having some sort of accountability. Again, these are all things that we, we all read about every day, but absolutely, the accountability to oneself, I think, is super important. So even now when I, because I love chocolate, as we all do, I guess, but even now I don't have any chocolate and little sort of treats in the top tier of my fridge. I've got rid of all those. Which obviously my girlfriend's going mental because she loves her. She loves her chocolate, and she's French, so they do love chocolate. <laughs> um, but it's really working, you know. And cut all that crap out, and so my, you know, my body weight is going down. I'm trimming up a bit because you know at my age you start to get a bit of a pouch if you like a few beers as well. But, and I've stopped that to a point. But it's just having that happy. It's a balance. balance I course, think right? come, we'll come back in because it, it uh, is cool. all about balance, cool. definitely, absolutely. So, what parallels do you draw, Tony, from life in the military to where you are today, looking at startups? Now, that's a really great question, and um, there certainly is a lot of parallels. And I think, I mean, it's a good opportunity for me to say now that the amount of people I've met who are in transition, are transitioning out of the armed forces, whether it's you know girls on board ship for the navy now coming into civil street, or ex-marines or paras or or engineers, they always say to me, what can I do in civil street? They just don't know what opportunities are there for them. And there's so many. Invariably, they end up, historically, going into security. Of course. And I've interviewed many, many veterans that have gone down the security Yeah, because they feel safe in that area, right? And they know stuff about it. And there's some good money to be made, especially if it's offshore stuff or going abroad for a little while. But there's so much more. Re fairly recently, people have been moving into cyber security. Again, very relevant, and there's plenty of it out there, and it's going to be a future aspect of all our life. Mm. But there's so much more. And when you have the skill sets that we all have in transitioning out of whether it's the Navy, Army, or Air Force, all those skill sets can merge into a really good offering to civilian firms. We've been taught to plan and prepare whenever we do stuff. We're disciplined, we're good amongst teams, we're leaders. 
We get up and we get stuff done. We roll our sleeves up, so we get involved. It's just incredible. Just, but people need to know that all you need is a quick five minutes or ten minutes with somebody who's already gone on that journey. Mm, yes. When you're transitioning, and then you can then start to open up your search as opposed to being pigeonholed into security or cyber when there's so much more to do out there. I mean, having been, having done 20 years in corporate life and having recently come out of over the last 10 years and become become an entrepreneur, I could definitely see the skills in both sides, actually. But particularly in entrepreneurial life where you need discipline, I think, you know, you do need that focus to be, to be a self-starter. And, and I guess veterans have that. I, and I, great. I, I've seen non-veterans, normal they're not normal, but they're entrepreneurial. But entrepreneurs within the companies I look after now, and there's 40-odd companies in fintech in my building, you sometimes sit down with some of these leaders and they're up against it. They need to raise X amount of money. And you can see them getting flustered. And you can see that their leadership during the day has changed somewhat, the way they relate to their teams. And I sit back often and I think, he just needs to chill a little bit. He needs to understand that's not the way you treat your team. If you want to get your, your business right to make that raise for the money, you need to lead differently. With ex-military people, when I've sat down with mates who are doing some cracking jobs at the moment in Civil Street, and I look at them operating, it's a different kettle of fish. When they get up against it, facing adversity, and we've all been against, up against it, they change. They take a step back. They've got to be calm, right? There you are. They reevaluate, and they normally turn to their teams and say, hey, guys, girls, what do you think about this next step? What would you do? As opposed to some of the entrepreneurial individuals that I come across, some of the leaders, who are not that good leaders, tend to just make the decision and crack on with it and not stand back and have a chat with their C-suite, if you like, about their decision. Sometimes it is, you need to do that. You need to be cutthroat and make the decision. But I think in this day and age where things are changing so quickly, I think it's nice that we have a more of a level playing field in leadership and management, where we can chat amongst ourselves as we've been taught in the military. So what I've understood from talking to a lot of veterans is, you know, that they've spent their time in service, um, given up a lot for our country, and then they come out and they are not necessarily given the tools to equip them for what you accurately yep. says is Civvy Street. Um, firstly, why do you think that is, and is there a solution for that? Yes, there is a solution for it. <laughs> it's called Civvy Street. Um, so we're about to launch, I've told you about this, but I met up with a guy who's an ex-Marine, uh, Hamish, he'll be watching this and I'm sure you'll meet him. So Hamish was a, is an ex-Royal and he's still young, he's in his third, early 30s, really smart lad. He got out of the Marines and we just got introduced, sat down, we chatted and I brought my other mate in who's a very a serial entrepreneur, he's not ex-military, but doing a cracking job, uh, Derek, who runs a company called Pays Me. And we sat around the table with a few beers and we started talking about the transition from the armed forces and what was Hamish's experience, which wasn't that good. What was my experience, which was not that bad back in 2000. But for the vast majority of people, we realised that it's not always the smoothest way of entering civil street. And there's a number of reasons. And I think one of, one of the main reasons is that they're not prepared. They don't aim off, the famous word we always say, statement, they don't aim off early enough before they leave to prepare themselves. There's an organisation, CTP, that looks after the transition for armed forces, and they've been doing it for years, and they modify every year, but it could be better. 
So we decided to get our heads together, bring in some think tanks, if you like, ex-military people who are doing really well, and we said, how can we make it better? So we're going to launch Civi Street, which is a super app. So a one-stop wow. app for all of the things that one would want to consider before leaving. So it's before, during, and after service. So it also be aimed at veterans who may have been out for 20 years. And if you imagine a wheel with all those spokes, every one of those spokes is going to be an element of what we offer. So there's going to be well-being, so financial and physical well-being. I, I was going to say, say that, actually, Tony, because a lot of, again, a lot of veterans that I've talked to have suffered from PTSD um, or, or mental health issues when they've come out. I'm not saying all, everybody yep. has, but it's it has been there, certainly, and yep. especially... Now, as we're going through, you know, not just veterans, but just ordinary folk have been suffering because of, you know, us, where we've been the last two years. Yeah. So I think that's a really important element on there. And there's, I mean, that is one of our major spokes, but there's some fantastic organisations out there and charities really helping in that arena, amongst many other spokes that we cover. And so we will be signposting, of course, to the professionals, but no one has brought them all together in one place, not just on mental health, but on things like e-commerce and discounts for the military. I asked my mate, who's, uh, I think he'd done about 18 years in the, in, in the Air Force, and I, he got out and we sat for a beer, I think it was about two months ago, and I said, what discount do you use? And being a veteran, he said, oh, I get a few bob off the, you know, the, the trains and when I do long distance and the, some stuff with Argos for the wife, and that's about it, really. I said, do you know there's a 1,467-ish I've been counting them. Different <laughs> discounts. And it's still it's growing every day. That's available for the armed forces. He said, you're joking. But we've got, we've got those, and they're going to be on the app. Fantastic. So the beauty is you're sat there, whether you're on board ship, whether you're at home twiddling your thumbs about, you know, I've been out five years now, what am I going to do next? You go on the app, and on there you can say, I'm ex-military, or I'm still serving. What do I need to know? Well, it'd be nice to hang, you know, hang out with some buddies who left perhaps three or four years ago. So we're doing geolocation. So wherever you are, it will show you other veterans or other people in the armed forces, and you can grind it down, micromanage it down to particularly your you know, army, air force, yeah. whatever it might be, and you can connect to them. It's just no one's done it yet, and the, there's different platforms out there that are doing a great job, but they don't bring it all into all one together. place. That sounds great. When, when is this going to be released? Is it uh, released? It's, we're just raising money now. We're just finishing yeah. off our final product. Uh, so we're looking at Q, the end of Q2 in the Q3. We're going to try and push it out now to all the, all the networks. But the main effort for us is not to make money out of it. Of course, you need money to pay the wages, but it's about helping, not helping, assisting people just before they leave and during that transition into Civic Street. Wow, I think that's an absolutely am amazing thing. Um, I mean, you've led such an amazing life and we've, just, we've even just touched on a few of them. There is one part I would just like to mention that we haven't talked about and Go it's on. I know you used to work for Boris and we couldn't end this interview <laughs> without actually talking about um what do you want to know the, well some great parties well, well cheese involved <laughs> obviously cheese and wine uh you worked with Boris back when he was mayor of London yeah how do you think he's changed well certainly when I was working for an organisation, a wonderful organisation called London and Partners. They promote London to the world for a number of different verticals. And one of them is business. And when Boris was, um, was mayor, from my experience, 
Yes, he was, a, you know, full of life, jumping around, high-fiving everyone. It was great energy. It was also great internationally. When it came to, we took him, I was part of the team that took him to Tel Aviv. And we was over in Tel Aviv and he had to get up on the lectern as, as London mayor. And he had the mayor of Tel, Tel Aviv there doing his bit. And then Boris did his bit. And it was wonderful. Everyone was high-fiving. It was great for international relationships at that level. So he was great for that. However, once he went into, I mean, I'm not going to knock him because I'm a conservative, but I kind of, we have to have someone in holding the helm. But he has changed. I think, you know, it's all about integrity. And I've always stood up and said, you know, give him a chance, give him a chance. But right now, I think, you know, there is no balancing act. I think, you know, there has been a few parties and I just think he needs to hold his hands up and say, you know what, this is what happened really. But he was great as a, I believe, from when I took him internationally, to, you know, we took him abroad to Paris and to, to as I said, Tel Aviv, he was great doing stuff there, but he has changed. He was a character. What's next for you, Tony? I mean, we've talked about Sibby Street. If, I, if you were to look back on your life, what do you think the next step would be? It's all about assisting veterans now. It's going to be my legacy. I mean, when I go wherever I go, Hopefully we don't go anywhere with technology. Who says, you know, could I love eternal that. life. I love that word, legacy. I've got mixed views. Do you think it's important to have a legacy or to leave a legacy? Personally, I think it's important. I like to think that, you know, when I leave this planet, I've got grandkids. I want my grandkids to say, you know, granddaddy was a cracker. You know, he done that that's now live in UK, America, you know, all around the world. This, this app, this organisation, this movement to help people who serve the country. That's, I think, is important. But you don't have to have a legacy. I think if you can, if you can motivate yourself to get up in the morning, be kind, work hard, and just show lots of love to the people around you who matter, that's important. And I always say to people, when they say to me, oh, Tony, you love your cycling and your training, but what is it about you? I say, it's love. The most powerful emotion, I think, is out there. If you've got someone that really loves you, and it sounds a bit soppy, this, but if you've got someone that really loves you and that you're in a relationship, you just operate at a different level. And certainly I'm very fortunate to have a fantastic girlfriend called Fanny, French, amazing, <laughs> knits all my gear, uh, translator. and she... Oh, you're going to get some loving tonight, Tony, <laughs> if she watches this, yes. But she just makes me happy, and I do operate at just that little increment above normal when I'm, with, when I'm around her. It's just different kettle of fish. I think you've just about answered my last question there, but Go I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask it anyway. If you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would the message be? Give out loads of love and, and make sure you're open to receive it. It's really important. Love that. Tony, thank you so much for being and a thank guest. thank you for inviting on me. my show. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.